Welcome to Healing the Spirit, a space where we awaken our creativity, deepen our connections, and remember who we are through the lens of astrology, archetypes, and art making. I'm your host, Jonathan Coe. My guest in conversation today is one of my beloved astrology teachers, friend, and mentor, Sabrina Monarch. I've been studying with Sabrina since 2020, and she's really helped me grow in my journey as an astrologer. In fact, it was my experience studying in her advanced astrology learning container, Meteorite, that really inspired me to finally take action and start this podcast already. It's also a powerful full circle moment for me to have Sabrina and to share this conversation with you today because my very first podcast appearance was actually when Sabrina invited me to be a guest on her iconic podcast, Magic of the Spheres, which I believe happened in sort of late 2020. Let me start off by reading Sabrina's bio for you. Sabrina Monarch is an author evolutionary astrologer and counselor and coach. She gained an unconventional education in creative writing by discovering an online writing community at age 12 and gaining dozens of mentors who would help her learn how to write for the next several years. She developed an interest in astrology at a young age as well and took her craft deeper in her early 20s. She writes weekly forecasts at www.monarchastrology.com is the host of a podcast about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution called Magic of the Spheres, and she teaches astrology online, including an all-levels evolutionary astrology intensive and advanced alumni courses. Sabrina is widely appreciated for her poetic voice and capacity to name subtle, abstract undercurrents of any particular astrological moment. She has an MA in philosophy, cosmology, and consciousness from the California Institute of Integral Studies and currently resides in Portland, Oregon. Sabrina and I sat down sometime in late 2021 to record a deep, honest, nuanced, and open conversation about Sabrina's personal practices. I truly appreciated how transparent Sabrina was with her story and how she got to where she is today. Our conversation itself was a really well-rounded, holistic conversation about how our spiritual practices and our spiritual lives can be a 360-degree practice that goes from finding ourselves reflected in an archetypal language, whether that's um, astrology or tarot, to working with um, principles of manifestation and visualization, to finally allowing all of that information and all of that intuitive insights that we receive to trickle down to more fully owning up to our plutonic power on a very embodied level. We started off by discussing the archetypal language of astrology and the very real personal ways that astrology helps Sabrina through her own spiritual awakening. 
and the contrast between the magical or shamanic worldview versus the scientific material worldview. Then we moved into how manifestation and shadow work are actually two sides of the same coin. Some very nuanced discussions around spiritual bypassing, what it is and what it's not, and how Sabrina used visualization to rewire her thought patterns. Finally, we spoke about how Pluto, the astrological archetype, relates to her own embodiment practice as well as the role of discipline in creating an enchanted life. Personally, I found this conversation to be very nourishing and at the same time, really electrifying. Many times during the editing process, I felt myself needing to write down what Sabrina said for future reference, and I also really struggled to find a couple sound bites of wisdom because there were just so many brilliant insights that Sabrina shared here. It's also interesting to note that there was some interesting kind of staticky sound in her recording. I think Zoom cuts us off a little bit here and there, maybe because our internet was slightly spotty, but I also kind of like to think that maybe it's Uranus giving us a stamp of approval for all the electric shares that Sabrina brought into this conversation. All right, let's get into it. Here is my conversation with Sabrina Monarch. Hi, Sabrina. Welcome to the Hi, podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Really excited about your show, too. Yeah. Well, you were the one who really kind of helped me take that jump to really start this podcast. So first of all, thank you, because probably this podcast would either not be here without your encouragement or um, it would just take me a lot longer to twiddle my thumbs. Oh, well, I'm honored. And yeah, I really feel like you're a great interviewer and really um, see people. So mm. I think it's a great, you know, I'm excited to listen to the episodes and yeah, yeah. I'm just so excited that this is being born. Yay. So I really would like to start us off in the present moment. Um, and I'm curious to hear who you know, feel, or sense yourself to be in this present moment, whether that's today or kind of like in this chapter in your life. Hmm. In this chapter, I feel really, I feel like I'm in a celebratory moment. Um, I've been working on monarch astrology since I was like probably around 22 or something like that. And it's, it's really fruiting. Um, and I just moved to Portland and a lot of my focus has gone into homemaking, which is an, an area of life that I really put on the back burner in favor of more 10th house things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, 
getting to know, you know, community here. And I also moved here because of a vision I had in the bathtub on an eclipse that was hitting my IC. Wow. <laughs> and it was like, move to Portland, make a home. And I've been making friends here that I feel really strong, like heart connection with. And I'm just in awe of like the things that are coming together in this space, you know, having felt this kind of invite from spirit to move here. Yeah. Was that move, um, would you say that it felt exciting or were there emotions associated with the move? It was exciting. And it came after um, a year, if not a couple years of not really knowing where to live, like mm. not really, you know, being an online person, having like, you know, my work online and having finished grad school in the Bay Area, it was like, well, I could go anywhere, but I was in this kind of limbo and I didn't want to just move somewhere randomly for no reason. So having the vision come through that clearly was really exciting and, uh, you know, mostly exciting. And when I drove away, I, I did kind of like tear up and have this huge wave of like, you know, missing my friends in the Bay. Um, interestingly, though, a lot of my close friends in the Bay are also scattering and moving elsewhere. So, mm. you know, there was a yeah. point where I was like, I'm kind of just here for these people that I love, but I don't know if I can be rooted here because um, the Bay has such a frenetic energy, like kind of a transient energy and the Pacific Northwest just feels like home to me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like I can definitely relate to that. There have been periods in my own life where it was almost as if I were just there in that moment in time to meet these people and then we all leave together. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It, it makes me think of um, your relationship to archetypal languages Um and how, like, personally, I've been thinking a lot about how, you know, perhaps jobs or relationships or um, even certain places are simply transits in our lives, you know, like, kind of like astrological transits. So I'm curious to hear your relationship to archetypal languages and just how, how have they guided you in your journey so far? I love that idea, just by the way, of place as transit. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, so astrology has been in my life since I was a kid, and it deepened and developed with time. And I think that I've always felt really perceptive and like I've been having an intense experience of reality. Um, you know, maybe it's the moon Pluto in me or all the Pisces signatures, but just like really taking in a lot, sponging in a lot and um, having these kind of numinous, larger than life moments in, in the mundane even. And when I started to get deeper into astrology, it really created a map to give more language um, to 
these subtle experiences. Mm-hmm. And I have to say too, before astrology, my interest in poetics, my favorite thing about creative writing was to find authors who named things I felt had never been named before. Like that we have these like edge, you know, experiences that, you know, we might kind of collapse them into, oh, it was, you know, words could never explain or something like that. But Mm -hmm. there is actually language that we can, you know, craft to talk about those experiences. And I find that astrology becomes this kind of kaleidoscope where through the study and speaking and practice of the language, we end up developing a much more multidimensional identity, sense of self, sense of understanding others, where uh, we can tap into perceptions that are, I think, just harder to find without the language. Like once we read a delineation, it launches us into this epiphany state, this deeper understanding. And then it even can become shorthand, at least among other astrologers. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can convey huge pieces of meaning in like, yeah, I was having a Pluto transit, you know? Yeah, definitely. I kind of want to explore like what it felt like for you before you gained mastery and after you gained mastery. Because I really... From, from what you've shared with me, it sounds like there was kind of a huge difference, you know, in terms of like your life experiences and, and that astrology and studying astrology seriously became this bridge. That was kind of the image that I, that I got. So I was wondering, you know, if you want to share a little bit about that or explore that with me, um, how did it feel like before and what happened with your spiritual awakening, with learning astrology that that really shifted your life to what it's become now? Hmm. Wow. <laughs> There's so much, uh, so many places my mind is going and like also a spaciousness from that question. Hmm. Um, so I think that maybe beforehand I had a greater sense of this like private inner world. And there was more of a dissonance between my inner life and my visual kind of persona representation and a form of hiding in a sense, but also not yet knowing how to kind of manifest my inner world on the external. Mm -hmm. And within that, um, I think that there could have, you know, there was some sense of like fear of like, what if, what if life isn't going to become something wonderful? Like, what if life isn't good, you know, or like just that kind of sense of, I have this like swelling kind of inner life inside of me, where's it going to go? And then I was 21, I had a spiritual emergence, which was basically, you know, a sudden psychic spiritual awakening that also involved psychosis, um, which, you know, from the kind of authority figures around me, it's like a super ungrounded, it's out of nowhere. Mm. But to me in my own inner life, it was like the collected pressure of my entire life building up to a boiling point. Mm. Um, all the ways I'd hidden, all the ways I wasn't truthful, all these realizations, all this intense opening without 
an infrastructure of consciousness to necessarily hold that level of material. Yeah. And so that's what got me deeper into evolutionary astrology and studying the archetypes and studying my chart with like guides that, you know, weren't flinching at my experience, you know, like they had the bandwidth and the vision to see what I was experiencing and give me perspective and evolutionary astrology, like Pluto could really, I think, hold these experiences. I started to realize that there were ways to be empowered in life. There were ways to actualize myself and my inner world. There were ways to gain self-reflection on ways that I had been in shadow in a disempowered way. Um, you know, ways to understand consciousness and conformity versus individuation and just really get into analyzing patterns of personality and behavior and karma. And these reflections and meditations helped me organize my life in such a way that I could actually live out my dreams and like live out my chart. Um, I know as you like to say, live out the, live the fuck out of the chart. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> this quality of like really seeing, you know, Stanislav Grof and Rick Tarna's, I, I'm not sure which one of them said it, but that astrology is a Rosetta stone for the soul mm -hmm. and tapping into that. And these like really deep, you know, beyond superficial, very deep delineations and kind of openings into conversing and building personal relationship with the archetypes, I think just really helped me turn my inner world um, into an external representation, which is what I share, you know, on the social, on social media, on my platforms and just kind of how I um, talk in day-to-day -day conversation too, and am less in hiding, I would say. Like, I think I, um, I'm not always like talking about magic or astrology, just like at the grocery store or something like that. But like, <laughs> if I want to go there, I can. Yeah. Uh, there's not that sense of like, oh, I'm not allowed or people will think I'm weird. Like I just feel a lot freer to be myself um, as well as Pluto really helped me uh, interrogate psychological hooks. Um, like a friend was just telling me yesterday in conversation, like, I feel like our relationship is really clean. Like, I don't feel like you're wanting something from me. Like you know, and just this sense of showing up to connection from a place of celebration and creativity and generativity um, and, you know, showing support and like being there for each other in difficult times and all of that, but showing up to life in a less extractive and manipulative way and more of like a generative and creative way is what studying Pluto particularly has helped me with. Yeah. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts around you know, the magic of the archetypal language itself, right? Or like kind of the potential, because one thing that was coming to my mind as you were speaking was how a lot of us felt like the words that were being used to describe us that were already available out in the world didn't really match the enormity and the multiplicity of our experiences. So I'm wondering if this resonates with you, if this was something that you experienced and 
Yeah, and I'm just curious to hear more about that experience and what that was like for you. Yeah, sometimes I would have these magical experiences growing up, and when I voiced them out loud, people would be like, what a coincidence. Mm. And they would reduce it to that because their worldview didn't have the space for synchronicity or for an enchanted, ensouled cosmos. And um, it's kind of reminding me of a Bernadette Brady book. Um, I'm not remembering the title, but there's something around like, you know, it's a, it's a pretty thin book, but in the introduction, it's talking about how we often have this richer experience internally than we have the language for, you know, for anyone that is disturbed enough by that dissonance when they find a language like astrology or tarot or, you know, some kind of divinatory or, you know, an art that helps us engage the unseen or the beyond. I think that there's this immense freedom and kind of like homecoming in that. So we're like, oh, this is the context that I see myself and see life in. Like there's room here beyond like a collapsed or truncated narrative. Yeah. 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 And it's also, I think that in, in finding that language, it's almost like you find medicine, right? Um, and I know that that term is a little overused nowadays that maybe we've kind of lost you know what that even means anymore but i think there's a way in which the soul can find not just comfort but the image that's coming to my mind is how you know like sometimes when you're dating right you can kind of feel like a crazy person when you keep meeting all these people who are like not good matches for you Right. But when the soul kind of met the match, you know, in terms of the language to help describe it or help illuminate it, there's something that blossoms, you know, and what felt like a liability before starts to be perceived as like a strength. Wow. I love that metaphor. <laughs> yeah. It's relatable. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, you were pretty, um, in your novel, which I know is like somewhat derived from your life, you had mentioned um, the pretty traumatic experience of being admitted to um, like a mental institution because people around you didn't really understand what was happening with you. And I'm curious how you found your way out of that. And looking back now, how do you make sense of that period? So just, you know, to clarify too, it was, it was outpatient treatment. It okay. was that my parents were financially supporting me, supporting me through college and they took me out of school and, you know, had me see a psychiatrist and I just wasn't really in the position to, um, you know, try to work for my freedom and get a minimum wage job. Like I could have done that, but I felt like I would collapse or something. It just felt easier to go through the system and kind of like fake my way through the experience, appease my parents, appease the psychiatrist and receive the renewed blessing to go back out into the world. But um, I was diagnosed as bipolar and, you know, as this experience essentially where um, I received that diagnosis, I was starting to 
come into contact with like a deeper truth and aliveness in myself than I'd ever felt in my life. Um, it was kind of like having my life flash before my eyes every day. And I was getting these kind of flashbacks of my whole existence and seeing it in a new light. And I was falling in love um, with a very dramatic character, an ex-CIA agent. <laughs> and um, there was something about the depth of that experience, you know, however fraught with some like immaturities in some sense um, or shadow content, there was a radical sense of aliveness that I was in contact with and uh, perspective all of a sudden. And also someone mirroring me, mirroring my inner world with more depth and capacity than anyone ever had. Um, so when I look back on that, yeah, yeah, like it kind of felt like, you know, in throughout life, when we're not mirrored certain parts of ourselves, they just go into shadow. And mm -hmm. so to have someone show up and just mirror everything, like, like all of this content that I'd put away, but he, you know, he'd literally talk about the mental health institution and be like, what a bunch of name callers, you know, they want to persecute us for taking the shamanic path. Mm -hmm. So I was already kind of preloaded with that perspective. And, um, you know, he was very magical and he'd talk about things. We'd talk about certain kind of random animals or insects, and they would appear in this way where it was like the universe was being flashy and kind of magical with us. And that to me just felt more real than these other narratives. And so when the psychiatry thing happened, um, I just didn't buy it for a second. And I actually argued, like I tried to convince my parents that, you know, I'm actually just more alive. You never knew who I was because I'm alive now. You know, I was super on fire in a way that was inappropriate socially. Mm. Um, and, you know, my psychiatrist was unsympathetic as well. And then this deeper thing started to come through where it's like, even my natal chart, you know, the more I studied it, it helped me see this, that that was actually a really profound initiation because, um, I had become so disempowered in that situation because I was looking for validation on the outside. I wanted to be believed. I wanted to show my parents, you know, the spiritual world and, mm -hmm. you know, break the fourth wall of reality and just be this wild person. And when the, the Saturn, you know, the kind of like constraints came in, um, I was given this kind of initiatory path of like, lie your way out which I didn't want to do, but I realized that was kind of the situation I had found myself in. And so all of a sudden, like, even though that passage was really difficult at the time, I feel like it formed me because like, since then, you know, I, I share myself in the public and I don't worry if people think I'm crazy because it already literally <laughs> happened, <laughs> you know, like, it kind of freed me. And it also like, just to kind of be alone in my room, uh, I pulled the hangman all the time during that period of time. And I don't, I didn't have the understanding of what that card meant in the same way, you know, cause back then it was like, Oh no, like, like the hanged man, it felt so terrible, but 
as I'm studying it now and seeing like, oh, I, I did pull that card a lot. And the perspective now is like, you know, having to kind of be in a period of waiting, like, and having to kind of go within and find some deeper connection to spirit in that process. Um, so, yeah. Can I share something really synchronistic? Yeah. I always pull cards before conversations and readings and guess which one I pulled today. A hanged man. <laughs> I'll show you the card. <laughs> the hanged wow. woman in this deck <laughs> what did you think when you pulled it i have the intention of allowing a field to open up and for me to be prepared for it and for the other person to also receive it you know or kind of be in that space together and one thing that was very apparent um to me for this conversation with you is not to over prepare because I, in some of the other conversations I've had, I've kind of gotten the nudge to really flesh out what the roadmap is going to be. So it was like, I kept hearing very clearly that the direction for our conversation is for me to just like be with you. Wow. So that was kind yeah. of what was coming to me, but I had no idea that during that time you had pulled, um, the hanged man a lot that's just so like such wonderful kind of evidence of synchronicity yeah um, <laughs> yeah and that just gave me you know when that was happening and I was stuck at home you know like against my will and whatever um it was a really dark time for me because I was afraid that um I would never come back to that state of aliveness that I felt. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to feel alive again, but I felt super dead. And I had a lot of amazing experiences during that time where um, I would meet people, you know, total strangers, tell them everything. Uh, there were other people that kind of came into my life and, a lot of people were really compassionate with me at that time and like held space for me in my complete despair. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling really deeply kind of humble and humbled because part of the spiritual emergence did involve an ego inflation. I felt like this queen goddess epic person. And then I had fallen so low and I didn't expect anyone to take care of me per se. Like I wanted it so badly and I wanted help and I wanted support and love and all of that. But whenever I was around people, I was like, I don't think I'm good company. Like, but thank you so much for being here with me. And they were just like, no, I'm like, like, it's almost like they felt like there was something of value in the experience I was having. Yeah. And so when I look back on that time period, even though I was so miserable, it's like, it was such a beautiful time, like in retrospect. Mm. Um, and that's really, it's interesting to hold that. Yeah. Was there a particular archetype other than the Hank woman and maybe from astrology that looking back, you felt like that archetype really guided you throughout this period? Hmm. There was a thread, I'm not sure, you know, maybe it's just Aries. 
energy, but Mm -hmm. like the thread of like, remember who you are. Don't forget who you are. Know who you are, like kept coming through in different ways. Um, And then Achuta Bhava has a talk um, on like misconceptions about Aries that I was listening to recently. And it talked about how often on the Aries journey, there's like one period or at least one time in life where it's like, you're almost having to fight for your right to exist, your right to be kind of a special individual, uh, kind of having to come up against like shadow authority energy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, what's even been something that I've been processing with more intensity, you know, it's been a thread for a while, but it's been on my mind lately is like, there's some like deeper soul level friendship between me and all the souls involved in that. Like even the psychiatrist, you know, of course my parents, like, and our relationship has gone through different shifts and changes and whatnot. Yeah. But I'm like, that experience was, was unjust in certain ways, but then it also was like very helpful for me at a soul level because um, I got to hit a wall. Like I went past, you know, I leapt into the unknown. I kind of like, you know, was acting erratic. I had had dreams that told me to speak all the time without filter. So I was just kind of like tits to the wind energy, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and then I hit a wall and that wall, you know, I was so angry at that wall and all of that. And like, you know, the psychiatrist for one, I don't totally know his deal, but I don't think he had the world view to hold my experience. So Mm -hmm. he was just doing his job in his world And my parents didn't have the worldview either to understand what I was going through. So it's, it's kind of like inevitable, the chemistry of what happened, but just that like everything was set up for me to have this really cool, epic heroines journey and like discover my power in that, like what a gift, like, yeah, it was traumatic at the time, but like so much richness has come from it that it's hard to even just call it a trauma these days. Yeah. Wow. You had mentioned this world, uh, this word worldview. And I'm curious if we can explore that a little bit, because I'm curious to hear if, if you want to expand a little bit more about that, I guess, you know, my question has to do with like, okay, if you were to visit that younger version of Sabrina, right? what worldview do you think you can impart to her from your vantage point now? Which younger version of me? The part that felt like um, there was a missing worldview from the psychiatrist, from your parents. Like, what was that missing worldview? Hmm. So worldview, the way I'm using it here is like, it's a set of, beliefs, assumptions about how the universe operates and the kind of scientific materialism worldview, I feel like has been the one that I've come up against the most as like the one that I combat (laughs) because Mm. the scientific materialist worldview is like consciousness is housed in the brain. 
like our emotions are caused by brain chemistry. And it's also a worldview that like doesn't really give a lot of credence, say, to like dream images, like maybe, you know, they're representations of the psyche, but we would never look at dream images as visitations from other realms. That's not housed in that kind of scientific materialist worldview. Things have to be, you know, proven via the scientific method and, you know, we need to see their cause. And there's also this idea that um, with, you know, enough development in science, we can always find the cause. Um, Whereas like maybe more of a shamanic worldview, a person who's seeing things and hearing things might actually be, you know, gifted spiritually, but in the scientific materialist worldview, someone who's seeing and hearing things uh, might have a medical problem or a psychological problem. And like, you know, I see these lights that guide me. And when I go to the eye doctor and there's like a little questionnaire of like, do you see flashes of light? I always say no. Cause I'm like, I don't want them to know about my flashes of light. Like they're very, you know, it's not a medical problem and I don't want them to like, look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah. um, and so similarly, you know, like if someone is hearing voices, um, and these voices are bullies to this person, like it's like um, a hell realm kind of space. Uh, the psychiatry, you know, worldview, the scientific worldview would, you know, look at it as kind of a problem to treat via like medications and pharmaceuticals. Um, the shamanic viewpoint might involve something more around like clearing entities, yeah. right? And even interacting with entities in the spirit realm is seen as a delusion by the scientific world at times in Mm -hmm. certain spaces. She definitely knew that things were magical, right? I think just like the idea of what an initiation is, like knowing that I would get through it, right? Like, and I did. I think I had that kind of awareness, but there was a a sense of doubt and fear, but that's actually weirdly part of the initiatory experience is not knowing if you're going to make it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Wow. One thing that you had mentioned to me that I found really striking was this idea of how you, and I think this is really connected to the Aries archetype you were talking about, right? Like not forgetting who you are throughout that period of, you know, what felt like immense difficulty. And I'm curious to hear about um, your other work that is perhaps not as much um, centered around language and centered around finding words to um, explain or describe your experiences or make sense of your experiences, but are more towards um, like visualization, right? It's, it's something that is much more visceral and really reprograms in a way your brain chemistry within that moment. I'm curious to hear about your practice with that and and you had also mentioned not um not resonating with the term spiritual bypassing as something that 
would describe your experience at that time. So I'm curious to hear more about that from you. Yeah, after um, after I kind of successfully faked my way out and was given the kind of graces to move back to my college town and finish school, I I kind of entered a period of like recuperation and healing. And I, I had taken some of the psychiatric drugs um, and I had bad side effects from them and I secretly titrated off of them. Mm. Um, I wouldn't have taken them. I was just afraid of being caught and whatnot. So I just, I took the plunge and took them. But once I was free and kind of felt safe to secretly titrate off of them, I, I felt the freedom to then, you know, really address my brain chemistry because part of the, you know, when I was arguing, you know, before I just played the game, but when I was still arguing with my family, I would say, why are we assuming that my brain chemistry is creating my emotions, that time is even linear? Why are we assuming it's causal? Like, what if they're happening simultaneously? Or what if the thoughts and feelings I choose on purpose create my brain chemistry? Mm. What if I exercise and do yoga or eat healthy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was like the way I put it then. Right. And they were just like, no, that's not how it works. Listen to the doctor. Like, mm. no, <laughs> kind of energy. And so <laughs> when I had that freedom, um, you know, I still had some trauma and anxiety and whatnot in my system. And I also had the desire um, to get back together with the spy who now lived on the other side of the country. Mm -hmm. And he assured me, he was like, do magic. Like I listen to the universe. If you want us to come together, then, you know, manifest it, manifest me. <laughs> so <laughs> I had this, you know, you had a challenge. <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> a good challenge for an Aries, you know? So I started to kind of like, and I'm really grateful that he did that. Right. Cause I was definitely in this kind of like wilted space, this damsel kind of like, save me, come live with me. Let's be together energy. And he was like, very kind of martial, like, no, get your life together and like watch the universe bring us together, which was quite a gift um, mm. in some sense. So I worked on cultivating positivity, you know, it was through like Abraham Hicks, you know, but I was also studying astrology and Saturn and I formed this connection that karma uh, within the Saturn and kind of Capricorn principle is like the cause and effect of our actions over time, the compound effect. And similarly, the kind of manifestation new age teachings were that our physical reality is a manifestation, a dense manifestation of prior thoughts and feelings, and that we have more power and agency and reality and more creativity when we engage the unseen, like when we choose to feel happy before there's a reason, and yeah. then the universe will match us with some kind of thing that matches our feeling state. And so I began to play, like kind of you know, as a kid, if you're like playing pretend, like I just started to really build um, an active fantasy life, but with the intention that it was to manifest in my physical 3D. Yeah. So I, I found ways to just kind of habitually pretend to be happy, but also find reasons, you know, or like when I was um, eating food to just enjoy it more. 
Um, like when I was on a walk, like to enjoy the scenery more, like I just started to, um, basically kind of bond with anything that existed in my reality already, like a good experience or a blessing to like really magnify it with my attention and gratitude. And then to also give myself a feeling or a chemical, you know, endorphin experience, if you will, based on something that I'm imagining in my mind. So I would actually like lay down, close my eyes and like work myself into a state um, in my mind. Yeah. And then feel it as a physical somatic experience. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I feel like, you know, having engaged with your work and having been your student for a year now, I feel like your work is the opposite of spiritual bypassing to me. Like it's almost that in, in doing the work, both through astrology and visualization, you uncover the deeper hidden truth and you stay true to that frequency you know of the deeper hidden truth with which i think is is like the exact opposite of spiritual bypassing it's interesting because in my own work i also have found that energy work somatic work and astrology kind of work together in like a beautiful synchronistic way and yeah, I don't know if if you feel like there's something that you would like to share or that you would like to explore around the connection between all of that. Yeah, um, thank you for that reflection. And it's been so wonderful, like sharing spaces with you, um, having your your thoughts and like heart sharing, like in the group field. Um, so part of, you know, why I don't really like the term spiritual bypassing is because I often see people use it in this very kind of like limiting way where there's a fear, like there's a, a guarded gate around the bliss channel or the ecstasy channel mm -hmm. of consciousness because, oh, it's wrong to go there there's so much suffering in the world or there's bad stuff happening. Um, how can I feel bliss, you know? And, you know, there's a certain complexity, I think, a certain bandwidth that we need to be able to um, experience radical joy to like dance, you know, if that's like a channel that brings joy or to like play pretend and create and channel joy from nowhere. And then, from that energy state participate in the world. And that takes a lot of bandwidth because it's like being able to hold in your nervous system, the contrast of like, wow, I just went to this beautiful visualization, but let's say I'm still living in a house where I have a tumultuous relationship with my roommates. And I just went to this garden of Eden in my head, but now there's some shit I need to deal with. It's mm -hmm. like, that contrast is intense and being able to navigate that skillfully, I think is, key. And so to bring that to energy work and astrology, it's interesting because um, the transits are multivalent, right? So a transit can appear in so many different kinds of ways. So if you're feeding your life with energy work, you're changing the prism of consciousness that that transit's going to move through, right? And like, I think 
the transits and energy work, like that will touch on our shadow content too. Like if we're moving toward love and like this higher state of consciousness, um, that's going to shine light on all of the places where we're in resistance and have fear and have trauma and whatnot. And so, um, to, you know, to be able to hold all of that, I think spiritual bypassing is really, you know, I think what people are pointing to is when people wall themselves off in a kind of cocoon and then don't ever address the problems in their life and neglect. Right. But what yeah. I found so interesting about visualizations, sometimes they make problems go away, <laughs> like some problems, right? Like if I change my frequency and my state of consciousness, sometimes I get inspired ideas and I participate with life in a more generative and creative way, as opposed to being in a panicked, dysregulated problem solving space where I'm just like managing crisis after crisis after crisis. And I haven't bathed myself in a frequency that's actually making my life any easier. And I'm just burrowing in the underworld. Mm -hmm. What I have found to be really interesting too, in my own experience and in my own path is that, um, choosing the path of that joy brings up so much more than choosing the path of um, being miserable, you know, or of blaming some other structural issue, which I'm not saying that it's not there. But it's just interesting to me how it's a very thin line, right, between acknowledging something and using it as a crutch to not do anything about it. And it's almost like when you choose that path of I want to live a joyful life, I want to be embodied, the more you see the resistance towards that. And I think that um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts too around how that's a reflection of our collective body, our collective spirit, that we almost feel like in order for us to solve a problem, we have to go to the problem rather than going straight to the solution right? Like you have to pick at the problem rather than really disengaging from that problem and start building the solution. Yeah. It's interesting because even within the the phases astrologically, there's different types of consciousness because the picking at the problem is like disseminating phase energy, like mm. specifically and like for whatever that's worth, you know, it's like when you pick up a book that's like critical theory and it's like analyzing the ills of society and the social norms in such a way that you feel electrified reading it. And you're like, whoa, like I, I have tools. I have awareness now that consciousness is valuable, but it also naturally makes way for like breakthrough. And I think that investing energy in going to you know, like I'll do this if I'm, if I'm struggling with something, sometimes I'll just imagine that I've already solved it, you know, like, or I imagine two things in my life that feel at odds, like two circles, and I'll just visualize them coming together like a Venn diagram until they're two circles and they're the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I just do that energetically 
because it's kind of like a fun cheat code. <laughs> and then like <laughs> the consciousness that I need comes after that. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, as you're saying, like going, going to the solution, I think the only time that that's not really, you know, like working is if people are trying to go to the solution, but they refuse to deal with the shadow content that comes up. And mm-hmm. so you were saying that like, when we choose joy, it shows us our resistance. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of like, that's where it is. Cause once you see the resistance, it's like, that's material, that's information. And are we choosing to kind of stuff that down and repress it and deny it? Or are we like looking at that and being curious and, um, for what it's worth too, when I was in this process of elevating my baseline mood and changing my brain chemistry, I stopped holding space for my negative emotions for some time. Mm. Like I wasn't trying to like get to the bottom of them per se. I was just like, here's my pattern. Here's my mental addiction to these feelings. I'm changing that. So I used my discipline and willpower to be happier and people would criticize that i'm sure as like oh how you know how spiritual bypassy but it helped me um kind of reroute overrun kind of depression channels um or anxiety channels and just bring that brain activity into some other kind of space so that i didn't have to keep trying every time and be disciplined to like be in a good mood yeah what i've seen in you that is sort of kind of a mirror to what I see in myself is both of us as artists, we are able to really dip into that um, well of the dark materials, right? And then maybe transmute that into some sort of art. And also not to discount the fact that we come, you know, you as a writer, um, me as a musician, we come from a long line of predecessors who have really wallowed in that energy, right? <laughs> so, yeah. so there is a need, I think, um, at least in my own life, where I, I, I've really needed to learn how to skillfully and consciously tap into the other end of the spectrum. Because as I mature, I realize that as much as that state of, you know, constant longing and suffering is maybe material for really beautiful art, that's not where I want to live 100% of the time. Right. And it's like, what temple are we visiting? Because yeah. <laughs> like going into that kind of like the longing and, you know, and it's, it's a place to visit. I like how you were painting that and like the lineage and the predecessors spending time there. And it's just, I think, you know, people may think of Abraham Hicks and whatever as they will, but like that, those kind of channels about manifestation and raising your vibration really opened my eyes to the way that, um, just as these, you know, my parents and the psychiatrists were like your brain chemicals, these physical things happening in your brain are causing your emotions. And I was like, that's not necessarily true. Mm. Um, in conventional culture, it's really normal to have an emotional response to concrete events. Like something happens and we have feelings about it and that's normal. What about having feelings based off of 
the choice. Like I'm on purpose going to choose to feel lit up and alive today. And from that space manifest concrete material events that match that frequency. Like Mm -hmm. that's kind of just manifestation in a nutshell. Yeah. And, um, what it, what it implies and what a lot of the teachings, you know, get into that is so offensive to people is that it, it's like, you're looking beyond the material world and what's happening and not latching onto it or identifying with it. And you're actually seeing into what you would like to exist in the world. Mm -hmm. And I find that like having the, the Gemini or kind of the mercurial capacity to actually code switch, you know, like if you're like high on life and you can just access bliss on purpose, that do you have the capacity to be, to meet someone and be with them in their pain? And probably if you have that capacity to access bliss, you may have less patience for people that uh, choose misery every day where it's like they think in their narrative that they're miserable because this is happening and this is happening and this is happening, but they're not taking accountability for their personal addiction to those emotions. Mm -hmm. So what sometimes when I'm around people who are complaining, but they're not actually taking like intelligent action in their life to change those situations. And I just feel them kind of like getting off to that state of complaining. I'm not, I'm Saturn in that situation. I'm stone cold. (laughs) Right. Cause I'm Mm -hmm. just like, this is obnoxious. Right. Like I've learned to even like Shaman Durek talks about this too, in some sense where he's like, you know, if you're around people and everyone's just complaining and like funneling and spiraling, ask people to like lift the mood. Right. And there's something about that. That's offensive to people. They're like, why are you invalidating my emotions? Can't I just bitch? And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, (laughs) there's some different, some different values at play there. And so I think what's interesting is that people that have built the channel and the access to these high feeling states People want to be around them actually, because they're the life of the party. But I think that like part of attending that party and sharing space with people like that is also bringing things to the party and generating energy. I love that. And I've been thinking a lot about how how we can reconceptualize the idea of discipline, because I think we have a very um, unpleasant association with that word. You know, but from what you were saying, you know, it it sounds like you do bring discipline into that situation, right? Of like, you know, and I I think part of discipline has to do with like a neutralizing force as well. Like, I almost have been thinking about this idea of what does it mean to tap into a Jupiterian kind of discipline? I love that you bring discipline into this because, you know, the the downer condition of discipline, I think, is related to using force to do things that we don't want to do. Mm. That just kind of sucks and that it's yeah. hard. Yeah. But what about like being devoted to a particular value or a frequency or way of being, which is a discipline, you know, like choosing to live your best life 
is a discipline because it's not actually just about um, feeding your addictions or your pleasure and just doing whatever you feel like uh, because that doesn't actually feel good. Like mm-hmm. the deepest satisfaction involves some you know, level of integrity or a lot of integrity. And so like living our best life is, yeah, about like having a good time and like doing what we love, but it's also like tending to the things in our life that need care and attention that might be hard to do. Like we don't like going to the dentist, but we do it. Or we don't like, um, you know, looking at some emotional stuff that we keep sweeping under the rug, but we do it. Like it's a holistic kind of wellness and there is definitely discipline in that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, to the point of having a better relationship with Saturn, I think that having a good relationship with discipline and with Saturn opens up so many doors um, because, you know, it's an archetype that this life requires and we can have a negative relationship with it, or kind of fight against it, but it's an inevitable archetype. And to actually claim it from within um, is like to be in one's inner authority. And if part of that inner authority is like, I'm going to be a happy person, or I'm going to like invest in my creativity, I'm going to be loyal to my dreams, like there will be obstacles, but if we have discipline, we can move through those obstacles. Um, so discipline is definitely like a positive energy. If we, if we cultivate that relationship with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of expanding capacity, I'm curious to hear about your perhaps more recent exploration into the Soma into embodiment practices and how you make sense of the somatic healing, your own process of rewilding and brain chemistry. Mm. So Uranus and Taurus, I feel like is somatic awakening. And so even back, you know, with the visualizations that was somatic, I think that the biggest thing, um, it's actually, it's still so, there's something about it that like one day it's going to like have to integrate more with like what I'm doing in in some bigger sense, but it's definitely part of my own life where um, it's been like developing like a better, like erotic relationship with myself on a daily practice level. And kind of learning how to relate to self-touch to my body from like a non-extractive way Mm. and more of like a slow opening kind of way. And that's been really huge. Um, And even just kind of like, you know, I feel like I've always been a very sexual person, but I didn't necessarily have the discipline to like make love to myself every day. Like if I didn't feel like it some days, you know, I wouldn't, but then to actually have it as a value of like, this is something I show up for every day, um, has been life-changing and there's a quality to, you know, like kind of softening into the body and experiencing certain inner mysteries and 
developing like just a more tender relationship with myself that my body is louder now. Like it Mm -hmm. speaks to me and I can't afford to not listen. Right. Like I don't push my own opening or override my opening um, because that's extractive. That's abusive. And that would be something that I would just be doing to myself. Um, And it's, there's balance, right? Cause sometimes I work for a certain number of hours and maybe I'm sore sitting at the desk, you know, for mm-hmm. that many hours. So I'm not talking about that necessarily, but like, there's a truth inside of that. I feel like, you know, the erotic is a portal to self gnosis and knowing who we really are. And so there's been that component of it. And then, um, there's the, the kind of like intuitive movement side of it. And like teachers, um, Carla Palomino, Perry Chase, um, Carla has taught me a lot about like just awakening my awareness of my internal kind of body space. And I go on these embodiment journeys with her that she leads. And I've actually been having fun dancing and having breakthroughs with dance even though I had a story that I'm not a good dancer, that dancing is kind of a pain point for me because I don't know what to do with my body, you know? And like, she just really leads, you know, imagine a guided meditation, except it's all about your body sensation and movement. Mm -hmm. And it just goes so deep. Um, So within all of that, um, it's come to, you know, also this practice of noticing my you know, mental stories as also like just body sensation. Um, And also I think a huge thing to name here too is EFT tapping, which is a somatic trauma release method um, that has been huge in kind of removing stagnant like um, traumas in the body. So I feel like, you know, I started at this kind of visionary place of just imagining things and creating the pathways maybe for the universe to send me the right guides and teachers. The universe, you know, in addition to sending me these wonderful astrologers and mystics and seers uh, in more recent years has also been sending me embodiment practitioners who are helping me tap into, you know, and I'm a Taurus moon, so I love this stuff, you know, yeah. and it's just like, um, I think that having a a deeper relationship with body and eros is like a pathway to self-knowing and power. And there's like mm. a sovereignty that comes through with that. Yeah. I love how I really see your sun in Aries and moon in Taurus shining from that <laughs> commentary you made right there. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's funny. I was thinking about that like, I, you know, I would like to think that creating brain chemistry is for everyone, but like, I do know I'm like an Aries, you know, Taurus moon, which is probably, there's some kind of like, I can do this. I can like have pleasure or something like I'm receptive to it, Yeah. but I do think that it is, it is an applicable way of looking at things. It's just not very commonly talked about. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to hear more of your thoughts about Pluto and embodiment, Mm, especially as we're talking about your moon and Taurus here. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm still working through like a felt sense of how Pluto relates to embodiment. 
And I'm curious to hear how your journey has taught you about how Pluto relates to the body. Hmm. So I think part of like actually taking like deep ownership for the sensations we're having in the body can help us not project, right? Like I'm really, I'm really careful to not use the phrase of things making me feel a certain way. Mm. Like I'll talk about the event or the stimulus and then, and I felt, or, and I responded to just take personal accountability for my reactions. Wow. Right. Yeah. And I think that Pluto is that process where like when we're too enmeshed, we don't realize that we have choice. So if we're enmeshed with a person, that person doing something, of course, makes us feel a certain way because we've abandoned ourselves and our power and our sovereignty to that person. Mm -hmm. So I think by developing a deeper relationship with the body, which is Taurus in some sense, it creates that polarity with Scorpio, Pluto, if we're going to go to modern rulership. Um, and additionally too, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of unconscious material in the body. Like we know that with the mind, um, the body too. Like, I feel like, um, you know, we store trauma, we store memories. And then there's also shadow content, like just like shadow in the mind could be, you know, our talents and wonderful things about us, as well as some things that we feel shame about. Um, what's in shadow in the body, right? Like, do we have particular chemical pathways that we tend to run or feel addicted to? And so, working with kind of embodiment, I feel like has just added this other layer of like capacity for transformation where, um, it's like just taking a deeper level of accountability for like, where am I getting activated and triggered and really seeing that as like my own system and not the thing or the person that triggered it. And mm -hmm. once it's my own system, then I can also, you know, have choice. Like one thing I've really transformed is my relationship with anger. I didn't have access to it for some time. I was had more, um, martyr energy of like, you know, also not respecting my own opening, you know, like really just like violating myself and then not being mad at it, you know, mm -hmm. mad about it yeah. and burying that. And so getting access to my anger again, through EFT tapping and my coach Lucia, um, I started to now, like when fire is building in my system and I'm angry, um, I've gained this capacity to do something about it. Mm. Like it's not even usually really lashing out. Like I don't fly off the handle or explode. Sometimes it's just like, Ooh, like there's charge and there's energy in my body and I'm activated. So now I can like create change. Um, right. And, or even just having that sensation of heat and anger in my body shows me that something needs to be addressed in my relationships or my connections. Whereas before I had access to that heat moving through my body, it would be like, Oh, it's fine. And I just kind of be in more of a dissociated place. Yeah. Um, 
So I think that, you know, another layer of Pluto in the body is like the like primal kind of energy, um, dancing, like drum beat dancing, like dancing by a fire, like anything that like really connects us to like this deep primal body um, and the aliveness that we can feel from that and the kind of ways that that that's a deeper part of ourselves that can kind of like shake and loosen up the ego. Like when we're able to have catharsis at like a body level like that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to bring it also another layer, Pluto relates to addiction as well. So I think a lot of addiction is related to the body. It's like, we have those chemical pathways set up and um, being able to kind of like create discipline, like, Discipline has helped me with addiction, like say addiction to certain foods. And I like changed my diet, but usually it's like figuring out like, you know, we were talking about introducing light or joy and it brings up your resistance. I've found that actually like feeding my life, what I actually need at a more nourishing level helps me have more self-esteem and more groundedness to be able to kind of gently let go of things that I would cling to from a place of lower resource within myself. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that because it reminds me of how somatic my own Pluto experience is because for me, Pluto is in the third house um, in a sign of Scorpio and I've struggled a lot with expressing myself through my voice. I've always felt myself to be a singer throughout my life, but I've only really had the guts to take voice lessons like the past couple of years, which Mm -hmm. is insane to me. And um, yeah, in my own plutonic journey, I've had to overcome a lot of fear around speaking up and yeah, so thank you for sharing that and reminding me how the two are so connected. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And it's interesting how like fear around using the voice is, is not even necessarily just mental. Like there's a deep, you know, like body response when we're in fear. Absolutely. Yeah, it, a lot of it for me feels very past life and ancestral as well. So yeah, for sure. Mm. So as we draw to a close, I'm wondering if there's anything else you would like to discuss or even just speak to the space that we haven't discussed. Hmm. Well, you brought up this point in class recently around like something that you were learning around energy work where it's like, if we're not inhabiting ourselves, there's room for other things too. Mm. Yeah. Um, And I've been hearing that as a synchronicity from multiple sources. And it's interesting because like when it comes to choosing a feeling on purpose, what a beautiful example of that. It's like, I'm going to fill myself up with choice And like with something that's true to me, as opposed to just being available to be in a reactive consciousness to whatever's being presented to me, like there is a capacity for change in that. 
Um, so just kind of maybe, you know, for anyone who's listening to this and wondering, like, how can I apply this? Like, if that's a question to feel into, like, you know, I like to read channeled texts, for example, because it, it kind of just is like a dose, <laughs> like it gets me into a state of consciousness or something, yeah. but like connecting with, like noticing what brings you alive in a really meaningful way and giving yourself that and knowing that it's not indulgent, it's not wrong. Um, if the things that are giving you life are extractive, I would say, yeah, be aware of that. <laughs> but if it's like not, you know, um, to, to like amplify and to feel into what it's like to show up to say a conversation or hanging out with a friend with an intention that you're going to create something like you're going to create a mood, um, or create joy or create celebration or start at the beginning of the day, knowing that you're going to have like a beautiful day or at the end of the night, recount everything you're grateful for, like do things to kind of collect, uh, you know, positive fire, like get, you know, lit up and see what that, you know, see the resistance that comes up and what it means to kind of like gently guide that kind of like your inner child that you're kind of guiding to have more fun and that it's safe to play um, and see how that permeates how you show up and what you create and what you have the courage to do in your life. Um, and that, you know, that's being sourced from some numinous beyond place. So you're not needing another person or reality to be any different for you to have access to that. So of course, I have to say, in addition to that, that building up this visualization space, if you do it frequently, it begins to raise the standards in your life. You might be like in a situation where you're not being treated very well. And because you've gained access to this new level of happiness in yourself, you may lose the psychological hooks that keep you in that relationship yeah. and you can walk away. Yeah. Like it's actually empowering. Yeah. And in my experience too, it gives you, if you decide to stay in that relationship or in that situation, it can provide you with the ability to transmute that experience, to alchemize that experience in ways that perhaps were not available to you before. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any, I kind of want to hear more about that. Yeah. So I, I would say this past year I've been getting more, you know, I've been, I've been getting the deeper into my astrological journey and I've been uh, starting to be more public about sharing my voice, my perspective, giving others readings. And there was a moment where I was starting to get really dissatisfied with my job because it wasn't providing me some of the what I felt to be like true nourishment. But then my experience with that has been as I learned to expand my physical capacity to like kind of receive it all, I start to be able to change my relationship with my job. And so it's, I'm at a point now where it's no longer this thing that feels um, like a drag, 
but it feels like it's the other side of the coin, you know. And and I think this is something that I like. These states are states that I oscillate between, but I think now I have a slightly deeper relationship with it. And you know, the funny thing about my job is that it's also to me a bit of a stand-in for my analytical part of self because my job is very analytical and my experience with my analytical part of self is that it's a bit of a love-hate relationship that I have with it. It's like a part of me loves um, having been validated for it my entire life and then another part of me wishes I were more creative, magical, and just not so bothered by the little details. But I think that my own embodiment practice, my work with energy work has really helped me embrace both sides and like to not assign shame to either of them, you know? Oh, I love that. And how that's so magical that you have access to both like that, like right and left brain and that you, you can kind of weave those things together. Cause I, even the way that you create astrological delineations, you use metaphors that are sourced from other places that you have, you know, knowledge like music and music theory and like how different instruments are interacting and it enriches, you know, what you're doing. And I can imagine too, that like you're your kind of like energy work side is probably doing energy work through the, the quote mundane things that you're doing. Yeah. So, but that's, I like that you're bringing that in too, because it's like the things in our life aren't static. And if we have a change in consciousness, our experience with things in our life can change. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, we're going to grow spiritually and then ditch our circumstances and choose something else. Like it might change our circumstances, like just being open to kind of like where that path is taking us, whether it's, you know, like further embodying the spaces we're already in too, as an option. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, so I'm curious to hear from you. The name of this project is Future Language. And what comes up for you when you hear that? And specifically, how you would like the collective to begin changing some of the language around manifestation or even maybe around spiritual awakening in a way that is more not just inclusive, but perhaps truer to the nature of these experiences? Hmm. I think I'll answer that in reverse because I'm going to have to think about future language. But the, the thing that's coming to mind is like medicine wheels mm. and the seasons. Mm. And from like a holistic perspective, there's, you know, like autumn represents fall and it's like, the leaves are falling off. There's kind of like a death process energy and that's opposite the spring, which is about, you know, the first bloom and this kind of like life force rising and peak experience. Mm -hmm. And so I think that like studying the astrology wheel, studying the seasonal wheel 
has shown me that there's interconnected relationships between these areas of life. So we can, you know, if we're thinking about manifestation, we bring our shadow content into our manifestations, right? Like, absolutely. so why not do shadow work as well? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. when we're on the path of manifesting, it's like, why do we desire the things we do? Is that a true desire or some desire that we've kind of inherited from society or something like that? So, you know, they're connected. And I think um, I've had times in my life where, I was like, I can't afford to study psychology more. I'm already too serious. Like, but then I found that the more I studied depth psychology, the more I started to laugh, like just as you started, you know? (laughs) And I was like, wow, I didn't realize this, but actually just by pursuing my weird interests or my deep and intense interests, I found levity and humor again. Like, you know, so just seeing that these things, even if we look at them as polarities are actually really dynamic in how they talk to each other. Um, and also, you know, some people do manifestation in a kind of annoying way or they're annoying about it. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that manifestation's bad. It just means that humans trip sometimes <laughs> with mm-hmm. the way that they're like interpreting teachings. Yeah. Um, And then future language. So that has me thinking about how when we have words for something, it can enable us to have an experience. Um, Or, you know, likewise, we have an experience that doesn't, you know, it's beyond and we have to find the words for it. And so future language makes me think, there I said it, but future language. (laughs) I'm inspired to think about um, how if we're more creative with the way that we kind of create maps for reality, that we can actually kind of call in new experiences and new futures. And so it brings up kind of the magician side of Mercury um, to me and the magician as this archetype where you know, affirmations or like coming up with a narrative, um, you know, affirmations can be great if, if they work, sometimes people don't feel like they work because it's like, we're trying to go too far. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't feel like we're behind it, but what would it be like to like sit down and like, imagine where you want to be in the future and then backtrack, like what kinds of thoughts would be seated right now to like, carry me to that future and just ground into like the moment of like contacting that future timeline. Yeah. I love all of that. And it makes me think of how underlying what you just shared is this idea of the hierarchy, right? Like we think that certain concepts have precedence over the other or certain ways of using language is more valid than the other and one thing that you've taught me in one of your classes is to allow this playfulness you know of accessing language that sounds exciting to you but perhaps doesn't correlate directly to a particular meaning and i think there's something that you shared there around 
maybe just getting, you know, questioning some of the hierarchy that we have around language. Yeah. I love that. Thank you, Sabrina. This has been really lovely. Um, I'm so grateful for all the work that you've done, the beautiful energy that you've put out into the spaces that you cultivate and the spaces that you grace, like Instagram. I feel like every time I see your post, I'm just like really excited to like engage and just to see the world through a different lens that you offer. So thank you for all of that. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for creating this like very spacious, like futuristic really space to like play with and experiment with ideas. Um, and you, you really have this like beautiful heart mind connection like, I feel like you, like those forces are very linked, just like that right and left brain. So mm -hmm. the kind of um, complexity, bandwidth, openness, compassion that you bring to conversation has just lit up like every space that I've seen you in. So I'm so excited about this podcast and excited to tune into the episodes. Thank you, Sabrina. Um, how can folks connect with you? work with you, study with you? Um, people can find me on Instagram at Sabrina Monarch. Uh, my website is monarchastrology.com. The, um, if on my website, there's a tab that says study and that'll take you to the evolutionary astrology intensive. It's also linked in my link tree on Instagram. And then there's magic of the spheres podcast. Um, I think those are the main, the main things. And, uh, I do, I have meteorite, uh, which I will be running again. Uh, but it is, you know, it's for alumni of the intensive. So if people are wanting to study with me or like go farther and like more advanced, like the evolutionary astrology intensive is a great place to start. And I promise it's, it's stimulating, you know, for all levels. Um, it's a deep dive, like regardless of how much, you know, um, but also a great introduction for people who are new. Yeah, I can definitely attest to that. I went through your intensive program and it's just such a beautifully crafted program. And I think you held the space with such, um, like this rare combination of like grace and power. So it's very empowering oh. for me to have gone through your intensive. So thank you for that. Thank you. That's it for my conversation with Sabrina. I hope you enjoyed it and that you found some inspiration, especially in building your own spiritual practice. As always, you can find all the ways to connect with Sabrina on Instagram at Sabrina Monarch and through her website, monarchastrology.com. You can also find all the full links in the show notes below. And I really want to encourage you to look into Sabrina's courses because they are really regenerative and really life-giving and 
the communities that she nurtures are so supportive and inspiring. I highly recommend that you consider signing up for one of her upcoming Evolutionary Astrology Intensive, which I think runs a few times a year. If you found this podcast or this conversation to be inspiring, nourishing, or helpful in some ways, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, or review this podcast with five stars or whatever is the highest ranking on your podcast app. If you think that someone else will benefit from this episode, feel free to share with them too, whether that's on social media or privately with a friend or with a member of your community. Until next time, I hope you take good care of yourself and I'm sending you so much love. Thank you for listening. Bye.